as a consumer, if I'm driving up to a gas pump and I'm going to get some gas, is there something I could see or notice that would indicate that there's a skimming device on that gas pump? Introducing the Protectors. Inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI. Leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts... International President Mike Carroll and International VP Mark Solomon. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll, International President of the IAFCI. Welcome to today's podcast. I am with Mark Solomon. Mark is our International Vice President of the IAFCI. Mark, how are you doing today? Mike, I'm doing great. Really excited for another podcast. This is actually one of my more favorite topics to talk about. So uh, really excited for our next guest today. Mark Zomai, I'm really excited. Why don't you introduce today's guest? I will, I will. He is currently the director of the Texas Financial Crimes Intelligence Center. Before that, he started his law enforcement career in Maryland, wound up in Tyler, Texas, became the detective sergeant for the financial crime unit there, was a member of the Secret Service Task Force. And this guy, Mike, let me tell you something. If you want to know something about gas pump skimming, he is the person to ask. I mean, he is phenomenal. He's done multiple investigations, organized crime investigations involving uh, gas pump skimming. So we want to welcome to the show, Adam Colby. How you doing, gentlemen? Thank you, Adam, for coming on today. Adam, you know, Mark's out in Connecticut. I'm here in Chicago. Where, where are you at for today's podcast? Where are you located? I am in Tyler, Texas. That is about 90 miles due east of Dallas. Nice. How's the weather? A lot warmer than where you are. Uh, we don't really have winter here. We just get a couple of days of winter. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I like living here, because I don't like the cold at all. Well, Adam, we brought you on today because you are an expert on gas pump skimming. And I just wanted to start off, you know, if you could tell like our listeners, what is a gas pump skimmer? How do they, how do they work? So gas pump skimming, as opposed to ATM skimming, uh, the gas pump skimmer is actually inside the cabinet, and it is an inline device. It's, it's sort of parasitic. It's not stopping the transaction. It is just copying the transaction. It's powered by the pump, and there's no way from the outside to tell that this device is inside of there. So it's capturing all of the uh, data off of the magnetic stripe on your card. So it's capturing your card number, your name, and anything else that your bank may have put on there. And uh, many skimmers are enabled for pin capture. So if you're putting in your, uh, your four-digit code or you're putting in your zip code, then it's certainly going to capture that as well. So, Adam, so what you're saying is this electronic device is installed inside the gas pump. You can't tell from the outside. How do they get it in there? How do they um, actually put this device inside the gas pump? Well, there, you know, the, the cabinet itself is locked, but there's a lot of different ways to actually get in it, uh, including just obtaining a key. I have people ask me all the time, so the gas station must be involved, and that is not the case at all. I've only seen one case across the nation where that actually happened. So they're accessing it in various ways. Sometimes they have a key. Sometimes they're using a pry bar and closing it back up to make it look that way. There's no lack of ingenuity. I mean, we've even seen gas stations put padlocks on their pumps, and the bad guys will come over and they'll look and say that this manufacturer's padlock, and they'll go out and buy the exact same one, cut off the padlock from the gas station, put the skimmer in, and then put that padlock on, and that way the gas station thinks it's actually secured. Hey, Adam, you're saying, okay, so the gas pump skimmer captures all this data that's on the back of the card, on the swipe part of the card, such as, like you said, the credit card number, maybe a zip code. Okay, once the bad guy's got that credit card information, what do they do next? 
most of the time, well, there's several different ways they can do this, but the primary way that they're doing it is they're looking at it and they're deciding, do they want to use this number or do they want to sell it? If they're going to sell it, it goes out on the dark web. If they're going to use it, they're then taking the information that they have and they're re-encoding it onto another piece of plastic. So in other words, they're taking the data that they've stolen and they're putting it onto another piece of plastic with a magnetic stripe. And that could be anything, an old-style hotel card to a gift card to another credit card. They're placing that information on there and then they can use your stolen credit card information to go and make a purchase. So it's just like cloning, so they're making a counterfeit card that acts just like the original card of the victim. That's correct. They're just basically taking the information, they're putting it onto a card that they can use. In some cases, we've seen this now, they're putting it into digital wallets where they're putting multiple stolen card numbers into one device. But for the most part, it's still a game of plastic. It's on the plastic, and then they're going to go out and use that to launder out the money. Uh, used to be where they would take it and they'd go buy gift cards, a couple hundred dollars worth of gift cards out of pop, and now it's done primarily through purchasing diesel fuel and then reselling it on the black market. Hmm. So they have some options on the type of proceeds they could get. They could purchase gasoline, they could go buy gift cards. If they get the PIN number, can they actually go to an ATM machine and withdraw money? Yes, they can. In fact, I encourage people not to use their PIN at the gas pump. Even if they are going to use their debit card, uh, you have the option to not run it as debit, run it as a credit, and then they'll ask you for your zip code instead of your PIN. Because if they acquire that PIN, they're going to go wipe out your bank account, or they're just going to keep on going until there's no money in the account or until your bank shuts them down. And then you've got a little bit more of a problem than, uh, than if it's been run as credit. Okay, Adam, let me ask you this. Uh, so they get the data through the skimmer, and then they put it onto, let's just say, they make up a counterfeit card. Are the fraudsters using the card in that area? And I guess maybe I should ask, is this like an organized group? Are they traveling once they get that data and they make their counterfeit cards? Are they going to different areas, or are they use them in the same area? Yeah, this is, this is organized crime, and to some degree it's transnational organized crime. So you have different groups. It's not laid out like when people think organized crime, they, they always think the mafia or the Russian mob. It's not nearly as organized as that. I wish it was because it would be much easier to track. But it is organized. It's loosely based. Uh, the allegiances can change. And they're working out of whatever town that they're, they're based in. And it's usually major cities in, in Florida, Texas, uh, Southern California, and Nevada. And they're basically running all over the place from there. You know, one of the analogies, when I, when I teach classes on this to law enforcement, I use an analogy based on the TV show, The Deadliest Catch. So I say to these guys, Deadliest Catch, what are we doing? So you're looking at crab boats, fishing boats, and they're going out in the ocean, and they're going on a preset course that they determine, and then they're deciding where they're going to drop their crab pots. Well, Gas pump skimming is very similar. These guys are going on the course that they have determined, that they've already scouted out which gas stations they want to hit, and they're dropping their skimmers. The skimmers are kind of like the crab pot, so they're dropping the skimmers down where they want to drop them, and then they're waiting for the crab, which is the card numbers, to come into the skimmer. And then when they decide they want to come back and either retrieve the skimmer or download the skimmer, that's up to them. So that's kind of how it operates, and you could get a crew that like here in Texas, we have crews based out of Houston, Austin, Dallas, and San Antonio, and they're kind of spreading out a lot further than that now. But a crew from any one of those cities can travel all over Texas into other states, and we've seen them do it, and drop skimmers in, at wherever they feel like it, and then go back and retrieve these numbers when they feel like it. It's really a road trip for them. 
So, Adam, you mentioned organized crime. You actually had a successful prosecution where you brought charges against a big organization that was involved in this in Texas. Are you able to share a little bit of information about that? Sure, they've been adjudicated, and we've done this multiple times. So, Texas, we have uh, we got some pretty strong laws for dealing with organized crime. There is a, a statute called Engaging in Organized Criminal Activity, and in the 2019 legislative session down in Austin, myself and several other folks testified down there, and we got some changes to the law where we got a lot of the fraud statutes added as predicate charges. So what happens is, so when we're talking about card skimming, and by the way, in Texas, there's no law that's called card skimming. There's various fraud statutes that we use to apply it. But when we apply these, like for the mere possession of a skimmer in Texas, the penal code calls it unlawful interception of electronic, oral, or wire device. It's an old school charge that was actually devised to stop wiretapping back in the 90s. But we found that the statute itself actually describes almost to a T what a skimmer does, and the, the courts went with it. So that's a felony, too, which in Texas is punishable by 20 years. So all we really need to do, just based on the skimmer, is we got three guys, we have a skimmer, we can then add engaging in organized criminal activity, which bumps it up to a felony one, which is punishable by up to 99 years. So we've busted up quite a few different rings. Some of them are coming from Florida, some came from Las Vegas, and many of them were based out of Texas. But we've, uh, we've taken out quite a few of these rings, and we've had pretty successful prosecution with folks going to prison on average about 20 years. And we even had one case where we put two guys in prison for life based on their atrocious criminal history. Well, if there's any gas pump skimmers listening to our podcast, I think there's one message here is don't go to Texas because one, Adam Colby's there, and two, you're going to serve a lot of time in prison if you get caught. <laughs> so. Well, certainly in, in uh, Home County, yeah, you're going to get hammered. Adam, let me ask, just as a consumer, if I'm driving up to a gas pump and I'm going to get some gas, is there something uh, I could see or notice that would indicate that there's a skimming device on that gas pump? No, there's nothing that's going to tell you that there's a skimmer inside the gas pump. The best advice that I can give people is uh, to use the newer EMV chip card capable pumps. Uh, So if they're chip card capable, I'm not saying that it's impossible. It's just not as likely because criminals are lazy and they're going to go for the low-hanging fruit. So the older style pumps, and these are the ones where they're still using the pin pad itself as a membrane as opposed to a raised plastic or, or metallic pad. And then also, if you're inserting the card flat, is what the easiest way to explain it. If you're inserting the card flat, then you're inserting it into an encrypted card reader. That's what you want to see, and that's what I tell people. That's what I tell my friends and family. So don't use an old pump if you can avoid it. And if you if there's no other choices, look at the pump. Is it well-maintained? Most stations that care about their customers are going to keep serialized labels, basically seals on the pumps across the doors that show uh, that the doors have not been opened up by anybody other than the station. If you don't see that, if it looks like the pump hasn't been serviced in 20 years, don't put your card into that pump. And if you have to, don't ever, ever run it as debit. So, Adam, I'm so happy you brought up the security seal on the gas pumps. I teach an undergrad class. We talk a little bit in one of the classes about gas pump skimmers. And it's amazing how so many people don't understand why that seal is there. And should a customer be looking to make sure that seal's intact? And if it's broken, what should they do? 
Uh, they should absolutely not put their card in there. That's for starters. And then they should yeah. notify the gas station. And if they find that the gas station doesn't care, then I would notify law enforcement. Uh, we've seen this happen many different ways where the door's been opened for for whatever reason. And sometimes it's just done by somebody that works at the station for whatever reason. Uh, the seal gets pulled off uh, or the seal uh, becomes voided out. And in some cases, we've even seen it where they're taking razor blades and they're cutting the seal on the very edge of the door. So it's just a fine cut. So when they close that door back again, it's very difficult to see the cut and it doesn't void out the seal. But by all means, do not put your card in there if you see a broken seal. Great advice. Thanks, Adam. Hey, Adam, let me, let me ask this question. Do you get calls from the credit card issuers regarding skimming cases where they say, hey, we noticed a lot of our customers had a transaction at this gas station and then fraud started right after? I mean, do you get referrals from credit card issuers? Yeah, so uh, we started doing that when I was with uh, when I was with Tyler PD and I was over the financial crimes unit. You know, working, I'm sure all of your listeners that are, are financial crimes investigators on the law enforcement side know that one of the biggest impediments we have is sometimes working with the banks. They just don't want to share information. But we managed to get buy-in from the regional and Texas-based banks, which absolutely started leading to common points of purchase or compromise, which would then help us find skimmers. And now, as the Texas Financial Crimes Intelligence Center, we're beginning to do the same, but we're doing it completely statewide. And in fact, uh, just the other day, I was talking to several different banking associations where I said, my plan is for you guys to start sending in your CPP data so that we can then turn around and dispatch folks to go look for the skimmers. So we work in conjunction with the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation, which has oversight over the gas stations. And they have a, a team of guys that we've trained to actually go out and find skimmers. And when they do, they write a full report on it, they photograph it, and they treat it the same way that law enforcement would, just like evidence, and in many cases better than law enforcement would. And they'll, uh, they'll always try and get law enforcement there if they can't. They bag it, tag it, remove the skimmer, and then they get it to the nearest law enforcement agency. And then all of their reports come across my desk we then take a look at that information. So we're working a lot of different ways to try and get these things as quick as possible. So, Mike, I have to mention, too, some of the work Adam's doing with the IFCI and our working group called SAPTA, which is the Skimming and Payment Terminal Attack Working Group. And Adam is one of our leaders in that group, and we have been working with another organization called the NCFTA, or National Cyber Forensics Training Alliance. And they are actually have databases for law enforcement for skimming devices, ATM, gas pump, photos of suspects. So if there's any law enforcement out there and you want to learn more about that, you can reach out to the NCFTA or become an IFCI member and join SAPTA as well. So Adam does a phenomenal job with our working group. So, Did my mother tell you to say all that? <laughs> that was a hey, it's the only place you're going to get compliments here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Adam, what about after the fact, the consumer that uh, notices fraud on their credit card statement and, you know, might have visited a gas pump earlier in the day? I think just generally, what should a consumer do if they notice fraud on their credit card statement? Sure. Anytime you see a charge that you believe you didn't make, you should notify your credit card company for starters. It doesn't necessarily mean that that you got skimmed just because you happened to visit a gas station an hour or two ago. Uh, in fact, it's probably not the case, but it is certainly possible. But once you determine that, in fact, you did not make that charge and you may be the victim of a crime, 
you need to contact your local police so that they can at least initiate an investigation and start a case. In Texas, we're encouraging all of law enforcement to send those cases into us at the center so we can start cataloging it, start comparing it to cases that we're seeing across the state. And, and with Texas being such a, a large state, it's spanning from one end of the state to the other, and we're actually making cases where nobody would have known that the same crew that's hitting on one side of the state is hitting on the other side of the state. And that's the importance of, of warehousing all of this information in one central spot. So if you believe that you're the victim of a crime, contact your card company, then contact the police. The other thing that you want to look for that might tell you that, in fact, you are the victim of gas pump skimming, if you still have your card in possession and you see that somebody has used your card to go buy maybe $100 worth of diesel fuel at a place that you never visit, I can almost guarantee that you were the victim of gas pump skimming because that is the main way right now that the money is being laundered out through buying diesel fuel and then reselling it on the black market. Wow. Hey, Adam, you made a good point before when you said that, you know, at the gas pump, you use a credit card instead of a debit card. And I think that's right on because if you use your debit card, right, the money comes right out of your account. At least credit, you still have an opportunity to dispute it but you're going back to the banks on a debit card transaction to try and get your money back. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, it, it typically takes longer to get your money back in that manner. You know, I think most banks understand what's going on now, but I know when I first started working these types of cases, I would have to call smaller banks on the, on the victim's behalf and explain to them that no, just because it was a PIN transaction doesn't mean that it was your customer and here's how. I think pretty much every bank understands this now, but there was a time when I literally had to go back to a bank and say, your customer is not committing a crime. You and your customer are victims of fraud. Adam, maybe you could talk a little bit about the evolution of some of these skimming devices. I remember back in the day when I was a police officer, you know, these skimming devices, they were kind of primitive. You'd have to put them in the gas pump, take them out, download the data. But now with Bluetooth technology, can you tell us a little bit how more sophisticated these devices are? Yeah, they've uh, they've come quite a long way. Uh, it, it's shocking and, and scary just how... Uh, how they've done this, and clearly there's somebody with probably bigger brains than ours that are figuring all this stuff out and developing these things. When I first started working these cases, we were seeing two different types of skimmers. We refer to it as an inline, and that's one where they open the pump, they place the skimmer in there, but in order to retrieve any of that card data that they've stolen, they've got to open the pump up again, remove the skimmer, and then hook it up to a typically a laptop computer. Then we started seeing Bluetooth, and Bluetooth was, was open broadcast at the time. So what was happening was that the skimmer is ready to be downloaded, bad guys show up with however many card numbers are in there, and they simply connect to their device via Bluetooth, and they download that way without ever opening the pump. So those were open broadcast, and there was a way, and I'm not gonna, I don't want to talk about how we did it, but there was a way for us to actually detect those things in the pumps without opening the doors. There was a lot of misinformation put out on that, and that actually led to those types of skimmers going away, at least in Texas anyway. A well-meaning PSA basically told the bad guys that we were on to them. So that transitioned into a different type of skimmer where it's not encrypted, but it's actually direct-paired to a device. So the skimmer is then paired with the laptop that's going to be used to download it. So there's no way for us to actually know that the skimmer is in there other than to open up the pump and do an inspection. So they're not even opening the pumps now to do this. Then we started seeing, they were called SMS skimmers that basically function like a cell phone. So they're using short messaging system technology 
and these things would literally steal your information and then text it to somebody. And we found out later they were texting it to a phone that it was paired with. And you didn't have to be in the gas station. You didn't have to be in the same city. You didn't even have to be in the same state or country to receive that information. And that's when we would occasionally see somebody who went to a gas station an hour later, their card information is actually being used. SMS went away because technology evolved, and now we're seeing what's called GSM. GSM skimmers do exactly the same thing, except for they're using a different encoding language, uh, uh, which is developed in South America. It's very popular there, but they're doing exactly the same thing. And it's, it's a tiny device for what it does. You would never suspect that this thing that you're looking at is capable of doing this, but it's basically doing exactly what your cell phone does when you send out a text message. And you know, there, there's other things that we're starting to see. Uh, it's just getting the devices are getting smaller and smaller. Law enforcement has gotten better and better at finding these things, and so the bad guys are fighting back by trying to find better ways to actually hide the device in the pump. God only knows wow. what comes next. Hey Adam, let me ask you. This might be rare, but have you had cases in the past where unfortunately you'd have a uh, dishonest employee working in cahoots with some of these people? Have you any cases like that in the past? You know, I'm, I'm not aware of any cases like that in Texas, not to say that it isn't possible or even probable. I'm only aware of one case in Florida where the gas stations were working alongside of these guys, but it, it's pretty rare. But there's okay. some in, you know, everybody has their price. Um, you know, if you need a code to be able to get into some of these newer gas stations and so some of these gas pumps, you know, there's nothing to say that somebody can't be bought. So it's not impossible, but it's highly improbable. Okay. So, Adam, a uh, big question here is uh, there's a saying in Texas uh, that everything is bigger in Texas. So my question to you is, are the skimmers actually bigger in Texas or are they the same size? <laughs> uh, only when you hold them under magnification. But they are the exact or pretty much going to be the exact same skimmers that I find in surrounding states, like uh, less fortunate people that live in Oklahoma or Arkansas or Louisiana. So not all things are bigger in Texas. That, that's what you're saying. Not all things, but most. <laughs> right, okay. so, so Adam, not to harp on the bigger thing, but you talked about diesel fuel being one of the main targets currently for some of these groups. Can you tell us a little bit about the trucks that they're using? So they're using these counterfeit cars to pump large amounts of fuel, diesel. Uh, where do they store this stolen uh, diesel, and how dangerous are some of these vehicles that are traveling on the highways and roadways with this amount of fuel? Sure, it's a great question. So we've seen a bit of an evolution in that as well. When they started transitioning to fuel, typically what we were seeing was a pickup truck that has at least in Texas anyway, if you work in agriculture or if you work in oil field, it's very typical to see a fuel tank in the back of a pickup truck because you're going to remote locations and you need that diesel to fire up a generator or for any other number of things. So we started seeing it like that, but then we started seeing agricultural cells, which are meant to haul water, starting to get filled with fuel. And then it got really, really unique. We started seeing guys remanufacturing vehicles to put in hidden tanks. We would see pickup trucks where the entire bed has been converted into a gas tank or a fuel tank, and then you just have the bed cover on top of it. We've seen box trucks. That seems to be the biggest one lately. Box trucks are pulling up to the pump, and they'll start pumping in diesel just like they normally would, except for that there's a secondary pump that then pumps it out of the regular gas tank into fuel cells that are then hidden in the back of the box truck. 
I've seen it in street sweepers. I've seen it in probably the most bizarre and, and, and funny one I've ever seen. We actually watched a, a Honda CRV that had been converted to haul fuel, and it had sat at the pumps for almost 30 minutes, and nobody seemed to notice that it was pumping fuel for 30 minutes, and you could literally watch the back tires starting to press down, and by the time they got done, when they left the gas station, they were dragging sparks behind them. They had hit the ground so low. So what I tell the fuel stations to tell their employees, and certainly anybody else, if you're at a gas station and you see a vehicle, two things. You see a vehicle that normally is powered by gasoline, but now it's pumping diesel, yeah, that, that's a clue. There's something wrong there, and you need to notify law enforcement and the gas station. If you see a vehicle that is pumping gas for an inordinate amount of time, and you think about what's typical, even if you own a, a large vehicle, like you own an F-350, how much gas are you going to pump in there, and how long is it going to take? Because typically what you're going to see is that these guys are at the pumps for well in excess of what that normal amount of time would be, often because they're swiping multiple cards because they don't want to go over a threshold and alert the bank and have the card shut down. So they will often use multiple cards until they get that fuel cell filled up. They'll also, sometimes you'll have one guy who will come out with the cards and he'll swipe on both sides of the pump and then two vehicles pull up and start pumping. So these are things that can tip you off that something is wrong here. Yeah, I think uh, tip number three is if you're watching this, uh, don't light up a smoke because it uh, could cause some problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That, that could be bad. I know in uh, some of the previous law enforcement training I did, uh, you know, they had some of those uh, ladder trucks where there were explosions. and that, That's um, absolutely true. Uh, there's no safety involved in these things. Uh, you got a, a full truck full of extra fuel there, you know, a couple of hundred extra gallons of fuel, and you get into a wreck, things could go south real quick. Yeah. Adam, quick question. We've talked about how this is done, prevention. How much money is involved in these operations? I mean, how much money can an average gas pump skimmer organization make? And do you have any statistics nationwide of how prevalent this problem is? Well, it's, it's pretty tough to come up with definitive statistics because when, uh, when any police department does a police report, there's no code that actually says skimming or gas pump skimming or ATM skimming. So it's not like the Justice Department can go back and look to see how many cases there are. Uh, we have had a federal agency, which I will not specify, tell us uh, about two years ago that gas pump skimming was responsible for at least one billion dollars in losses nationwide. I strongly suspect that that number is very, very low because it's based only on what is being reported and not nearly enough of it is being reported. In addition to that, banks are very hesitant to share their losses and even if they were going to share their losses, they most of the time cannot be sure whether it's gas pump skimming, ATM skimming, or some other type of fraud. So when the federal government says at least $1 billion, I would say you're probably closer to somewhere between 5 to $10 billion. Wow. wow. So, Adam, I know historically there's always been a comment that, you know, it's always the far pump that gets targeted with these gas pumps. But is that really the fact, or are all the pumps possibly susceptible from being targeted with the skimming device? Well, they're all certainly susceptible. And we have seen guys plant pumps right in front of the clerks. But typically, they tend to go to the outside lanes, and we used to think that was in order to hide from the clerk. And what we've come to see is that you know, the clerks are usually just too darn busy inside the store. You know, they're bringing up sales, 
lottery cards, cigarettes, whatever's going on, and they're not watching what's going on out at the pumps. What we think is actually happening now is that they're targeting the diesel pumps, which are almost always the last ones out there. And the reason that they're doing that is because when they get cards out of a diesel pump, they're much more likely to get fleet cards. And fleet cards are going to give them more bang for the buck, so to speak. So on a typical personally held uh, credit or debit card, your bank is going to shut that card off at a much lower monetary threshold when they believe that there's going to be fraud. They're going to scrutinize the purchases that are not made typically a lot harder. But in a fleet card, especially when you're talking about fleet cards that are supplied to people that travel constantly, like truck drivers, service companies, those cards have much, much higher thresholds. And to see a a charge in one state and then a few hours later in another is not out of the norm. So it's much more difficult for the banks to catch that fraud and shut them down. So really what we think is going on now is that they're just targeting the diesel pumps. Hey, Adam, just to go along with that, when uh, a card is, say, a skim card is used at the gas station to buy diesel fuel, is it the merchant, like the gas station, or is it the card issuer that takes the loss? Well, it used to be just the banks. It used to just be just the financial institution. Obviously, the cardholder would initially have some problems either uh, with their personal bank account getting hit or their their account being frozen, uh, and then it would be up to the mercy of the bank to decide when they reopen their bank account and replace the money. But it used to be strictly the financial institutions that took the loss on the end. Until April of last year, the gas stations were exempt from instituting EMV or the chip cards, and that has changed. So what we're seeing now is that in most cases, if the skimming is done, if the fraudulent purchase is made at a non-EMV compliant, meaning a non-chip card gas pump, then that hit is going to go back to the fuel company as opposed to the bank. So it's kind of back and forth right now. It's probably about 50-50. But I will tell you that the uh, the fuel companies, the, the gas station companies in particular, that are seeing these chargebacks, suddenly they are very, very interested in what's going on at their stations. You know, It used to be strictly the banks that were taking the loss. And uh, not all, but a lot of the fuel stations were like, well, it's not our problem. And now it is their problem. So now we're getting really good cooperation on both ends. We're seeing now that a lot of the gas stations that haven't converted to EMV technology are now converting for that very reason, because they're starting to take the the losses on all this. Yes, they are. And and I will say this in defense of some of these uh, fuel companies, uh, is that many of them, before they were forced to do this, cared about their customers and were trying to prevent it. But also that there are not enough uh, I mean, if, if you could wave a magic wand right now and every mom-and-pop gas station or smaller fuel company had enough money to retrofit all of their pumps or to buy new pumps, there's still not enough EMV card readers and pin pads available and enough technicians to install them. So it's going to be years before every pump is fully compliant. Interesting. Yeah, so it's going to be a, a work in progress. It's not something you could just snap your fingers and, and see the changes. Yeah, so if anybody's thinking of becoming a pump technician, now's a really great opportunity. <laughs> right. Hey, Adam, let me ask you, I mean, just for consumers who go to a gas pump, you see a lot, we, we had uh, somebody with a uh, felony lane gang where somebody goes up to the gas pump, they get out of the car, they go inside, they leave their purse in the car, or they'll leave the car running, you know, while they're pumping gas. Do you have any, any tips like that for consumers? Well, I can tell you in the state of Texas, it is, it's not lawful to leave your car running unattended. Not that anybody's going to write you a ticket for it, but it is against the law. But it's really a bad idea for that very reason. 
it's a crime of opportunity for a lot of these folks. You know, the same people that are doing the gas pump skimming are not the ones that are going to steal your credit card out of your purse or steal your purse when you walk away from your car to go buy your smokes or your uh, your Starbucks coffee for the morning. You know, it's going to be more typical criminal activity. But I would never walk away from my vehicle while it's pumping, A, because it's not safe, and B, because I don't want to leave my stuff vulnerable for anybody to steal it. Okay. So, Adam, we really appreciate you being on the show and giving some great information uh, to the public here. For the consumer, can you maybe just wrap up a couple of important tips if you're going to a gas station and looking to fuel up your vehicle? Sure. If you if you pull into that station and those pumps look like they have not been serviced in forever, that's your first red flag. You get out of the car and you see that there's no seals or the seals are broken or voided out, do not put your card into that pump. If you are pumping and you see something suspicious without endangering yourself, just kind of watch what's going on. Two things that you're going to be looking for typically. If somebody's downloading from a skimmer, you'll see typically a vehicle pull up and somebody will either pump gas or pretend to pump gas or nobody will get out of the car at all and the vehicle will just sit there. And the reason that that's going on is because there's a guy in the back seat with either a laptop or a tablet or a phone who's then downloading from the skimmer that is in that pump. Uh, the other thing is if the money is being laundered, in other words, fuel is being purchased with stolen credit cards at that gas station, if you see something that doesn't look right, it probably isn't. If you see a vehicle that is powered by gasoline pumping diesel, that is a clear clue. If you see a vehicle that actually has two fuel doors, that's another one. Or if you see any type of vehicle that is just pumping gas for a much longer time than would be typical for that type of vehicle, that's almost a giveaway that they are filling up hidden fuel cells. So, And if you see any of that stuff, by all means, contact law enforcement and let them check it out. Very good, Adam. We really appreciate it. Hey, Mark, how do we do it? Every week we have a great guest. I think it's because we're not talking. We're actually listening to the experts. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of picturing you guys like Bob Euchre drinking in, in the uh, announcer's booth while I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's later on tonight, but not now. <laughs> so. Well, Adam, we really want to thank you for coming on our podcast today. In fact, I think with a, with a guest like you today, we could be the podcast of the year. That's how good it was today. So we really appreciate it, Adam, everything that you do, protect our citizens. We hope you be careful and be safe. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. I had a lot of fun, but I'm also going to warn you that uh, flattering the hell out of me is not going to get me to buy you drinks next time I see you. Darn it. I thought that was going to work, Mike. I don't know. We have to throw a plug here. I mean, our international conference for the IFCI is going to be held at National Harbor in Maryland last week of August, so maybe we'll see you there, Adam. Well, that would be great. I'm actually uh, planning on... Uh, attending that one since it's my old stomping ground. And Adam, all the drinks will be on me because I have a whole bunch of skimmed credit cards. We'll just use those and won't have to pay for a thing. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So, well, hey, uh, I want to thank our audience for tuning in again to an awesome podcast. Thank you, Adam Colby. Be safe out there. Thank you for what you do. And I'm signing off. My name's Mark Solomon from Connecticut. And this is Mike Carroll in Chile, Chicago. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. 
The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guests' opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.